0: Praise the Lord. Welcome to this episode of Earnest Content. We greet you in the holy name of Jesus, and we're so thankful you're here with us today. The Gospel according to Mark, and beginning at, at verse 28, the Bible says that, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? So to give some context, at this point, in in the chapter, in the story of the gospel, of the narrative, Jesus is in the temple and he is answering the questions and having dialogue with the Sadducees and with the religious elites and with the scribes and and it is as as if one scribe has, has just been listening and kind of been waiting for his opportunity to ask ask Jesus a question. And it's, it's either to stump him, or it's either to, to truly learn from him. But he says, what is the first commandment of all? What is the primary, the, the one of most importance? And Jesus replies that the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Of all the commandments of Scripture that he could have quoted from, of all the possibilities he he could have said, he says that this is the first of all commandments. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So when when we read this passage and we think and we're trying to to grasp this unique dialogue, this very precious moment in the scriptures. When we think commandment, we think, okay, what's the greatest thing that we can do? But Jesus, he doesn't make a mistake. He doesn't misstep. He answers precisely, saying that that the first commandment doesn't just begin with action. It doesn't just begin with doing. But it begins with the focus of the action, with the object of the devotion. It begins with the, the one in whom you are obeying, the one who gives the command. And this portion of Scripture, Deuteronomy uh, 6 and 4, is, is known as the Shema, or the hearing. And it is the cornerstone to the faith that is presented in the Old Testament. And this verse, along with, with so many, says plainly and emphatically that the God of the Bible is one. He is not divided, he is not many, he is not 6,000, he is not five, four, three, or 2, but the God of the Bible is one. It's been discussed earlier, but in the King James Version of the Bible, that, that Lord is found in all caps here in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4, and 5. And what that means is that it's the translation, not of the generic word for God, but the translation of the specific personal covenant name of God in the Old Testament. So what does the Bible have to say about God and his being, about God as his individual? So we have the beautiful privilege to discuss the, the revelation of the one God, the essential, the hopeful, and the helpful truth of the oneness of God. Isaiah 45, 5 through 7 says that, I am the Lord. And there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So we see here the one God of the Bible, the the one who has revealed himself through his word, the specific Lord, plainly and truly does the Lord show himself and and say, he gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven and tells us there is no other throne. There is none beside him. There is none above him. There is none greater than him. The Lord has told his people through his word that even the false gods of of those neighboring pagan countries like Baal and Chemosh and Molech. Even these who are attributed and acknowledged as gods are not gods. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 17 that that they sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they know not. To new gods that came newly up whom your fathers feared not. The Bible says right here that the false gods are not gods at all. They're not of the same identity as the Lord God. But they are simply just devils who have gone about and deceived the multitudes. The Bible, it does not mention, it does not know, it does not provide any knowledge about any other God except the one God, the true God, who is the creator and the master of all. There's Something very interesting, Um, when you look and compare ancient civilizations and ancient cultures, there's only one religion out of all the ancient religions that stood out from among the majority. And this one religion was the faith and the belief of the Jews of the Old Testament. So what does this mean? Only the Jews... Only the Hebrews, the the people of God, only they had a belief in one absolute God. All other cultures, at at all other times, um, if they believed in any sorts of gods, if if they didn't attribute or hold to any soul philosophy, but they they believed in, in some sort of deity, they believed in multiple deities. And something very interesting is, among the ancient civilizations... Um, they, would ha- they would attribute a God for every unique um, circumstance. So, for example, there would be a God for the rain, and there would be a God for the sun. Um, there would be a God for the harvest, and there would be a God for war. There would be a God for celebrations and a God for um, fertility. All different characteristics. Even the Bible says in Acts 17, Paul, he visits the thoroughly pagan place of Athens. And, and there he, he sees an altar made to the unknown God. And it's because the, the people, the Greeks of Athens, the Athenians, they fear that they may have not discovered a God, or they, they fear that they may not have, have found a God, or maybe they've left out a God. So they have this altar that they sacrifice to for the God they may have left out, for the unknown God. But the interesting thing is, is that, for example, the storm god for the Canaanites, his name was Baal. But there was not only one storm god. For the Canaanites knew him as Baal, but there was also a storm god for the Romans, whom they knew as Jupiter. And there was a storm god for the Greeks, whom they knew as Zeus. And for the Norse, who they knew as Thor. All different civilizations and all different societies had... The same gods, but just different names. There was the god for fertility, and there were the gods for the harvest, and, and there were the gods for for all these many things. But they just knew them by different names. But but only in the faith of the Old Testament was was there one unique God, one absolute God. The Bible goes on to say that in Malachi 2:10, "Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us?" The Bible knows only one God, one creator. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that that there is one Lord. There is one faith, one baptism. That there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, in the church, in us. James 2.19 says that thou believest that there is one God thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. James here, he talks about that. you know he, he points reference to this unique understanding, this revelation that's only found in the Word of God, only given by the Spirit of God. If you believe that there is one God, you do well. Because the rest of the world, they believe many of God's, or they deny God, or they look elsewhere. But if you believe that there is one God, you, you're doing well. Because... It is the truth. But also the devils know, they recognize, they believe in this one God and they tremble in fear. So historically, from the Old Testament until the New Testament, from Genesis unto Revelation, the Bible only mentions one God. And what's so unique about this God is that He is indivisible. We, we spoke last week about, about his loving kindness and his righteous mercy and, and how all of his characteristics are so intertwined together because he can't be divided. So throughout history, the understanding of the God of the Bible has been twisted with the, with the various church councils and, and creeds that have been developed. Nowadays, the, the majority of the world would define the God of the Bible as a trinity. What does the trinity mean? A good definition, a good concise definition of the trinity, I I draw from the book The Forgotten Trinity by James White, where he says that within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal, co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see um, various definitions of the Trinity, but, but all definitions of the Trinity would have, to some extent, these same key words being one being that is God and eternally three co-equal, co-eternal persons. And those persons being the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. On the other hand, the word Trinity is not found in the Scripture, nor is it presented In the scripture. So, if we think about what the Bible is and what the intention of the Bible is, it is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. We do not see anywhere where the Bible speaks plainly of God as three persons or as triune or as a trinity, especially when it's compared to the amount of times that the Bible speaks plainly about the absolute oneness of God. Well, you may begin to think that the Trinity is is just a New Testament doctrine. It was hidden in the Old Testament and then uh, developed in the New Testament. Well, you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. So, in coming to find our faith, we we can't begin in just the New Testament. We we have to begin where God began and work our way through His entire Word. Galatians uh, 3 verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So some people may, may say that, well, because we have Jesus, because Jesus has come, because Christ has come and, and died upon the cross and, and we we have the gospel. And now that we are living in the New Testament, we, we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament's just done away with. Well, you can't get the diploma without going through school and graduating. You can't get to Jesus without first spending time in the classroom of the Old Testament. So let's examine what does the Old Testament have to say? Are there any places where where God is is showing himself to be a trinity in the Old Testament? So let's look for example in in Genesis 1 uh, 26 and and also in in uh, Genesis 11 7 and and other places, but but the main focus is here is that God, uh, the Bible says that, and God said, let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Well, the Bible says here that let us, and th- that God is saying, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, after our plural image. Likeness. However, if you read the next verse, the Bible, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image, singular, individual. And in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So, let's look at the example of, of ourselves. If God was a trinity, and we are made in the image of God, we ourselves are not Three separate individuals of one substance now the the Bible does say that that we are body, soul, and spirit, but my spirit and my soul are are not separate from my body. I am one individual. I am one being. so what what could this verse be meaning meaning what 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 is God really saying? When he says, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Well, Job thirty eight, six and seven tells us that the angels were present at creation. And first Kings twenty two, nineteen through twenty-three shows us a glimpse into the throne room of God, per se, and tells us and shows us that, that God is meeting with the angels, having counsel with them, uh, talking to them about what, what needs to be done. Now God is in no need of counsel he lacks a no understanding or no wisdom he knows what to do to to put it plainly but he includes his creation because that's who he is so we see that that in this instance that god could just be including the angels in the discussion cuz in verse 27 it's god who creates man in his own image individually not not plurality there's not uh, there's not a plurality that comes to to create shape man but it's God himself so it's very possible that that the Lord was just including the angels in the discussion another possibility is is that Ephesians uh, 1 11 talks about the Lord and the counsel of his own will so the Lord he he is the only wise God he could be talking you know as we do uh, as we would say to ourselves you know like, let's see here Let's see what we have to do today, which is let us see. So he, he could, in the counsel of his own will, say, mm, let's, let's make man in our own image and after our likeness. We see in action that God himself comes and God himself creates. Another, another possible thought would be the Hebrew word for God is, is plural. That word Elohim is not a singular a word. It's, it's a plural word. You know, we discussed previously that the Hebrew word Elohim is, is equivalent to our English word God. It's just that generic word for God. The Hebrew has multiple words used for God. But why is this plural word for God used? Wouldn't that mean that, that God would be a, a trinity, the three co-equal, co-eternal persons of, of one, uh, one being? Well, the Jews, the, the ones who read directly from the Hebrew, have never seen or attributed Elohim as speaking of a plural plurality of persons. They acknowledge uh, and see Elohim to be speaking of the magnitude of his greatness, uh, the plurality of his majesty. Right? He, like he is the, he's the high and, and the mighty one, the, the greatest there could ever be. But let's just say, for example, that Elohim is plural because it speaks of God as a plurality, that, that God is a trinity, My question would would then be, well, why is it that every time in the New Testament, when the New Testament mentions God, that the word for God is then found in the singular? So in the Hebrew, the, the word is Elohim, and it's plural. But in the Greek, the word is Theos, and it's singular. And even when the New Testament quotes a portion of the Old Testament using that Hebrew word Elohim, it's always translated in the singular Theos, speaking of one God. This is beautiful because, because the Lord, infinite in his wisdom, he, he chose two very different languages. And, and all languages have strong words and weak words. Right? For example, in the English, a, a weak word would be love. Because we only have one word to mean so many different things. But in the Greek, there are four words for love. Each meaning something very specific. So where, where one could look at Elohim in, in the Old Testament and, and maybe read in a plurality of God in the Greek, the, the word Theos is always singular. And it's showing that, that God is, is not a plurality, but, but He is an indivisible, individual being. And let us consider for a moment one of the most significant and powerful stories in the Scripture. Imagine the moment. Moses he comes in contact to the creator of the heavens and the earth and he's standing upon holy ground as the bush is engulfed in fire but it's not consumed. It's a moment like none other. No one else has ever had a moment like it before. This is a connection to God. It's it's a moment for revelation. And the Lord he tells Moses to go to Egypt and, and tell Pharaoh to to let his people go that that they may serve him in the wilderness. And here, just between the Lord and Moses, where there's not a great multitude of people who who could maybe miss the moment or or murmur or or twist it, but but just an intimate moment between the Lord and Moses. God could have revealed himself as a trinity, as three co-equal and co-eternal persons of the Godhead. However, when Moses, when he asked the Lord who he should tell the people has sent him, the Lord says plainly, I am that I am. He is the individual and the self-sufficient one. I am that I am. But notice that the Lord does not say, we are that we are. It's not spoken in a chorus and harmony of three, but it's one who says, I am that I am. And even Jesus, he reiterates this. He shows the beauty and the magnitude in this moment when, when even in a rare moment, he reveals his deity He tells the Jews that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, he is that everlasting one, the eternal God, who not only met Moses in the burning bush, but before Moses was, he led Abraham through the walk of faith. And before Abraham was, called Noah to build an ark. And before Noah was, walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And before Adam was, created all things out of nothing. The I am, not we are. And another popular scripture for discussion of the Trinity in the Old Testament is Isaiah 6, 1-3. through 3. The Bible says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly and one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory some have said that that the reason that the angels don't just cry holy is the lord but they say specifically holy 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 is because of the triune god there's one holy for the father and there's another holy for the son and there's another holy for the spirit but the bible also mentions in Jeremiah 22 and 29, quote, Oh earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Now does this mean that, that the, the earth is, is triune in some way? That, that the earth is a, is a type of trinity? Or that Jeremiah is, is speaking to three different earths? Of course not. It's just a simple way to draw great focus and emphasis upon something. The, the Lord is holy, absolutely. But the seraphim, cry before his throne that holy 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 is the lord to magnify the extent of his holiness when i say that the, the bible does not teach a trinity or a doctrine of a triune god what am i really saying you may be thinking well well the, the bible talks about the father the son and the holy ghost and i say amen yes absolutely i, I agree 100% i do not deny that I do not deny the Father. I do not deny the Son or the Holy Ghost. Jesus himself, he He gives us this commandment. It's been called the Great Commission. He tells us to go ye therefore and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now it's a very small detail, but, but it's absolutely crucial to the rest of the Bible. For every word is important. Now notice that The Lord does not say to to baptize in the name of the Father. To baptize in the name of the Son. To baptize in the name of the Holy Ghost. Nor does does Jesus tell us to baptize in the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But Jesus, he tells us, he gives us this command to baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And this tells me that that Father, Son, Son. And Holy Ghost are not names, but they are titles, because there is a name that is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We don't deny that there are three, but it's not three individual, personal who's, but three what's. What was God doing through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost? What is the one name to the Father, the Son? And the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us today on Earnest Contend. We hope that this episode was beneficial, and that it aids you in your spiritual walk and in your defense for the faith. We pray that you be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. And we look forward to joining you next time on Earnest Continue. God bless you in Jesus' name.